0: Alright, 3, two, 1. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Jan Quasar. He runs the website TheQuesterFiles.com and he's done an extensive amount of research about a well-known series of home invasions, rapes, murders, just general mayhem known as the East Area Rapist or the original Night Stalker a series of uh, crimes that really started in 1977, and there have been very recent updates within the last year or two. But he can talk about that in greater detail. Gian, are you there?
1: I'm here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for agreeing to the interview. So, uh, for people who don't know your name or your background, can you talk a little bit about uh, yourself and how you became interested in this subject?
1: Uh, well, I first started out being known for Cole or and our X Files type pursuits, uh, a rather serious pursuit of uh, some of the sometimes more uh, bizarre mysteries, including disappearances, Bermuda Triangle, all that type of stuff. But I pursued it uh, seriously enough that I got published by the major publishers, and uh, a lot of documentaries were based on my work. And I was given up very nice write-ups by New York Times writers for how I approached these subjects. You know, the Flight 19 book, which was Five Avengers That Vanished, and others. So I kind of, uh, it's just, it was a natural event for me to evolve from that to to Cold Case, but I never really uh, advertised that until I started, uh, when you start, you have to, of course, start with Jack the Ripper, and so I put up a section on my website about that, and my first true crime book was about Jack the Ripper. That was Scarlet Autumn. And then, because of the technology of today, I thought one of the best things to do would be to combine uh, the power of the web and writing and videos, and I was going to go after the East Area Rapist. I was working on my Zodiac Killer investigation. And since I lived within driving to all the crime scenes, I could investigate these myself. And at the time, there was only one book on the East Area Rapist. And it was amazing that with all he did, he was not famous at all. And this book was by Lieutenant Larry Crompton. He self-published it. He was one of the original investigators in uh, Contra Costa County. Mm-hmm. And he's more or less the uh, the Dr. Loomis of this whole case. If you're familiar with the Halloween franchise, you'll know who Dr. Loomis is. Right, uh-huh. Donald Pleasence played him. And in real life, that was this uh, rather nice Canadian-born investigator uh, who became uh, a cop, and that's Larry Crompton. And so he wrote Sudden Terror and self-published it. And as such, it didn't get as wide a circulation as it should, but it was a bit dramatized, but he kept all the old reports as they were being thrown out since at that time the stereo rapist was only known for being a rapist and there was a statute of limitations, so once that expired, the reports were being destroyed. see. And he saved everything. And so he used all the correct dialogue and everything in in sudden terror, but dramatized it a bit, you know, I think from the investigator's point of view. And it really hit home with a lot of people, those with into crime. And there was basically nothing on the web. There was a very good site that Robert Neville put up, but it was bare bones. It was just a list of the dates and the crimes and the locations and a few pictures. And maybe this uh, composite was him. Maybe this car can leak him around his license plate. And it was just stunning that there was nothing out there. And so I started with Crompton's book trying to find all the houses. We're talking over 50 locations up here alone.
0: And when when was Crompton's book self-published? Uh,
1: he, 2011. Okay. Soon after it came out. So
0: fairly recent. Okay. So you, yeah. you started working fairly after that. And, yeah. I mean, maybe you can give the listeners the the enormity of the crimes that took place up there in the East Bay, uh, east of San Francisco. Well, in
1: 1976, he began, uh, summer of 76, and uh, for a while, they didn't even know they had, uh, the Sacramento County Sheriff's didn't know they had a serial killer, a serial rapist afoot. And eventually, within a few months, they realized from the M.O. that this was there was one guy and so they held a public meeting to announce the fact in November. And At this time, there were eight attacks that they attributed to him, eight or nine. And from there, uh, there was just no stopping this guy. A dog wouldn't stop him. Uh, you know, kid one of the kids, uh, Victim 7, saw him on the fence walking to there, and the dog went out he, and yipping at him, and it didn't stop him. He got inside the house victim three uh, give you one chilling visual the young girl who was apparently the intended victim she heard someone at her window she got up from her bed and looked out and there he was staring in this two eyes in this mask he just slowly lowered down out of sight she went and got her mom they went and looked out the window and he goes running to the back fence then she gets on the phone to call the police and moments later they hear the crashing of the little girl's window and he's there by her in the, in the kitchen with the gun out and nothing on beneath his waist. He was bare bottom. And so nothing stopped this guy. And 1977, it just increased until he hit five in one month. And he stalked... Uh, one good thing about my approach showing how he stalked with all the pictures in the film on the Quester files is it really hits people... How this guy carefully selected his victims, and he, you know, got in the house sometimes days before in neighbors' homes. He checked their schedules, everything. This is, you know, the supreme stalker. And so that's why I likened him to the real life Michael Myers. This guy didn't stop. You could throw him off a balcony. He'd just get up, you know, shoot him. Nothing stopped. And uh, by the time uh, he was done in Northern California, he had hit over Sacramento, a uh, college town of Davis. Modesto, Stockton, back and forth. Uh, then he went to Contra Costa County or oh, San Jose down there and back and forth. And then after fifty victims and attempted victims, uh, he pops up in Goleta by Santa Barbara. And then uh, there was some debate back then. That was that was the 1979. And. Uh, whether he was the guy that turned killer because he was rather imitating the bedroom basher by beating his victims to death. But DNA finally confirmed it uh, some 20 years ago that he was uh, the original Night Stalker down there. So we're talking 10 pairs of murders down there.
0: 10 pairs of murders where? Down in um, near Santa Barbara?
1: Los Angeles. Los Angeles
0: in general. Okay, gotcha.
1: And uh, so from Dana Point up to Santa Barbara to Goleta. And uh, now they've uh, tagged him with the Professor Snelling murder of 1975 in Visalia. They've tagged him with uh, Majora double murder, which occurred uh, in a very different uh, MO in Rancho Cordova in 1978. So we're talking 13 murders, uh, 50 rapes or more. And this over largely a period of ten years. The most robust period was seventy six through eighty one, and then he tacked off, and he came back five years later and struck his last victim in uh, Orange County.
0: I see, and so, so that, and that was the Epid- in Irvine, right? Yes. And you, on your website, you've done so much hands on first person research. You have all these pictures of the houses. The crime scenes of the mapping, so uh, kudos to you for that detailed investigation on each one of these cases. So, you've got you know 50 web pages of uh, inf- information on his crimes
1: on, on just the crimes, yes, then into the analysis section, and then my own personal pursuit. Uh, so, I think there's about 80 pages on there, I'm not sure. And by that time, since I pioneered the auto wrecking angle and all that, I was persona grata with more than one investigative uh, jurisdiction, and I could submit all my persons of interest uh, directly.
0: What's the auto-wrecking angle? Can you explain that?
1: Well, all the evidence that Sacramento sheriffs had uh, collected, you know, the uh, canvassing of the neighborhood indicated that uh, the East Area Rapist used too many different old jalopies. Too many different old cars were being reported. So I figured he, the Best way to pursue this might be that he was within the auto dealership business or auto wrecking and that way he would have you know, a position of trust and he could take out different clunkers that he wanted to and switch out license plates. Because in a couple of these license plates were taken down and they were traced to wreck cars but they were on the wrong car. Interesting. And the others just didn't pan out, they were expired. So all this sounded like someone who had access to too many wrecked cars, and he could switch plates as he wanted to. So it was auto wrecking and car dealership where my prime uh, persons of interest were part of that, and I rippled out from those to others, and I could submit that freely to Orange County uh, Homicide DNA and then also to uh, Sacramento uh, County Sheriff's. Up here, they had two active detectives. Ken Clark was the lead one on the case up here. And so they really weren't cold case detectives. They were working this on their own time because at that time, uh, it was still, you know, a lot of these rape cases were considered outside of statute of limitations. So it was something that the officers opted to do. And they were extremely good, you know, old gumshoe type detectives back in the day when all these reports were coming in in the late 70s that there was some, you know, door-to-door salesman, Dianetics was big back then or insurance salesman going door-to-door. Some 30, 40 years after the fact, these detectives were able to go back and find out who these guys were by name, trying to rule them out to see if that was the East Area Rapist using, you know, that as a cover in order to stalk the neighborhood. Interesting. So they were extremely good detectives and, uh, Ken would triage a few of my uh, persons of interest. I I wrote down a lot of stuff, information there. He gave interviews to me, and he also did some podcasts. And a very, very intelligent detective.
0: So there was always an interest for all that time from 1976 to find this perpetrator, correct?
1: Well, no, he, he vanished. It's the most unusual thing after 1986 when he, after he came back out of, you know, he had disappeared for five years, he came back, he killed his last victim, Janelle Cruz, and then, uh, since there was some debate back then whether he was the same killer, or as that, you know, there is, was the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, or that was never proved until the late 1990s, I believe. And so he faded away, he faded away as a, a rapist of late-night 1970s who terrorized Sacramento, and then the East Bay of San Francisco. I mean, no city went into a panic like San Fernando did since Jack the Ripper sent London into a panic. There were vigilante groups. There were CB radio groups up here. The sheriffs were warning people, warning these groups that they cannot drive more than two together because they're afraid of a lynching. Uh, the dentist up here was giving $30,000 reward for this guy. It was uh, an enormous panic because nothing stopped this guy. No neighborhood was safe. But for some reason, someone who had been so famous, he vanished, really. He never rated any kind of true crime, uh, you know, a spotlight on him. There was a documentary done in 2009 by Todd Lindsay, and that's what brought Crompton out. And he tried to help Crompton get his book published, but it didn't happen, so Crompton did it on his own. And so we were talking about basically my website made the guy... Famous through cold case and true crime because everybody saw with all my documentation just what this guy did.
0: And he had a kind of a, a, a similar MO, is that correct?
1: He's very rapist?
0: Yeah.
1: He had a very distinct MO, so, and how he stalked along canals and how he got in the home, what he spoke to people, always through gritted teeth. If he always wore a ski mask, he spoke through gritted teeth, so very sinister sounding, frightening them. He was more of a terrorist than a rapist. Many of his victims said that they weren't scared of the rape. They were scared they were going to be murdered. That's how frightening this guy was. And he'd stay in the house for hours. He'd tear the place up. He would lord over it and come back and, you know, scare them more. They'd be blindfolded and gagged or something, and he'd come up quietly, and they couldn't hear him. And then he would be uh, clicking scissors next to their ear. He would tie them up really tight till their hands were purple. He would tie up the husband or the boyfriend and put dishes on his back and, and warn him if he hears those fall, he's going to come back here and kill him. Or he's going to bring uh, the victim's ear, you know, the, the wife's ear back and show him if he does that. He was a real sadist. He was a real home terrorist. And he had many crimes that he was doing at the same time in the house.
0: So a variety of different crimes. And which ones were, why did he murder some and let some live?
1: Well, he didn't murder any in the beginning. The uh, Majora double murder was atypical. It's like he might have been spotted and could be identified, and so he chased them down on the street and killed them. Well, that's the accusation now that it was D'Angelo who did that. And the other ones were all, he was home invasion rapist. He carefully uh, uh, spied out who he was going to hit and that. So everything, all the rapes were in the home. And then when he went down south to uh, Southern California in 1979, then he turned murder in the home. It's very easy to determine. Apparently he was going to continue the raping, but uh, in the second Goleta attack of the Offerman-Manning case, apparently Dr. Offerman did get loose and was going to challenge him. One of the the binds on his, his wrist was loose, so he was trying to tie him. And he shot Offerman several times in the chest, in the back, and he just slumped over. And uh, then he just went over and shot uh, Manning, once execution style, in the back of the head and got out of there. And so everything indicates he lost control of the situation. And after that, he never did that again. He carefully spied out his uh, victims, intended victims, again, and then beat them all to death. So there'd be no noise. So it, it, that's the Manning Offerman one got away from him. And then he just decided to go from there and killed all of his victims after that.
0: Wow, so that's really where the murder started, right then in in seventy nine eighty. is that correct?
1: Yes, in December 1979 with the Offerman and Manning. Apparently Offerman challenged him and he went berserk and had to do it. And uh, then he enjoyed it so much that uh, each one thereafter was carefully planned. And again, that he just beat them to death. He raped and then beat uh,
0: and then why did, why did the police or the investigators think that he stopped?
1: The MO stopped completely. And, of course, back then there was the disagreement, you know, was the East Area Rapist and this guy, original Night Stalker, the same, same person? Because right. the, the sheriffs called him Night Stalker down there because of the MO. And the, the Sacramento sheriffs were very suspicious from the MO. You know, he struck along canals. And all this—that this was the same guy that no longer was striking up here. But then uh, it wasn't. That didn't get any news that this guy was imitating. That you know, after all, he was imitating the bedroom basher. So I'm, I think there was a confusion over Mo. And then Richard Ramirez started striking, and the press gave him the title—the Night Stalker. Night Stalker, right? and that stuck. And the sheriffs really didn't care for that because Ramirez was nothing compared to this other faceless guy they were trying to deal with. But uh, it caught on that he was a night stalker, and in reality, it was the East Area Rapist who was the supreme night prowler. And so the sheriffs just had to call him original night stalker. Now, he was the the first one, but he he didn't get the news press because he was that careful there. I don't think there's any composite of him, of any person of interest in Southern California. That's how careful he was.
0: But there was a composite of him for Northern California, is that correct?
1: Well, there's over 30 of them up here and that led many of us on a merry chase because most of them were young guys with hair down to their shoulders and he was suspected to have been 25 to 35 with shoulder length hair and then even much younger later and he had blondish hair and blue eyes and when you look at all of these I've seen a lot of them some that aren't even, uh, have been published and there's no way you would ever have picked out D'Angelo from all of these there's one from the Majora double murder that they showed, that showed a guy with a, a police haircut that parted on the other side. And it's, it's a big stretch to say that's D'Angelo as well. He was simply that careful. And other guys in the neighborhood, I guess, before the fact were, uh, you know, when the sheriffs or the police go and, and do their canvas and they talk to the, the neighborhoods and ask, you know, neighbors and ask, have you seen anybody suspicious in the neighborhood? which is the worst question to ask, I'm told, by the lead detective, because everybody's going to say yes. So they gave the police all these descriptions, and there was invariably some young guy with... Long hair, right? 70s, <laughs> and that's all they ever had. Is they, There were, never was a composite in perpetration except once, and that was with victim 15. And they had to get that from her through uh, hypnosis, help with hypnosis, and the result is a cartoon image that... Could not help anybody, and close as you can say it comes to D'Angelo is that it has narrow eyebrows. That's it, and so the police had police had nothing. They had three in Sacramento alone. They had thirty plus uh, composites, and these all tended to be young guys with
0: shoulder length hair. Gotcha. And so then um, this this whole series of events, other than you and. Crompton researching in 2011, it all kind of just went away for 30 years, and then what happened?
1: Well, Crompton brought it back after he went away for uh, since the 1980s. Crompton started bringing it back, and then because uh, he had dramatized it in his book, Richard Shelby, one of the lead detectives in Sacramento, decided to write his book, and that came out, I think, 2015, and that's called Hunting a Psychopath. And there was an L.A. and Alta Loma based private detective, Jack Gray, who wrote Hot Prowl, which is based on the murders down there. And that was basically it, mm-hmm. at 2015, except for my website, which finally went up complete in 2015. And then I was inundated by people who had been part of the investigation. I was inundated by people turning in other persons of interest. I was, frankly, being harassed and insulted by people who were on this message board and, and rather figured it was their case. And then I was got all these emails from people who had been on the message board, and they said, don't listen to those people. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> and there were a lot of good people who were involved investigating behind the scenes, but they lurked on those boards. and But they started also, you know, sending me some information. And, and there were some very, uh, very impressive people who were very interested in it, but there was no outlet for them. Except message boards, where too many people hid behind alias names and obsolete clipart icon profile photos, and no one really trusted the other ones. Right. And so my website became a center of uh, of the continuing investigation, and I would, uh, you know, put up updates. I frankly I was too public about some things. And uh, then in two thousand and sixteen, June two thousand and sixteen, Sacramento, sheriff's district attorney's office, they. Uh, post a big update where they now posted a reward for fifty thousand, and the three composites they thought were the best. One of them was that uh, short hair composite from the Majora Double murders, and the other two were of the young guy with long hair. And it just it continued to grow from there, and I got to know Michelle Cruz, who was uh, is the sister of the final victim, and she was uh, she was quite good investigating behind the scenes trying to solve her sister's murder. And it turned out, by coincidence, she's a distant cousin to some of my favorite cousins. And uh, so then the media began, 48 Hours was going to do a special, and that was the first big thing, CBS. had planned to do that. And so Michelle told them, use my website for the source. I wondered why so many hits were coming into my analytics from CBS, and she told me. And then more and more, and more shows were being done, and, and special documentaries. And uh, basically, the my website, because of all the research material, helped illustrate for everybody what this was about. And that was my intent. I said, my intent is to solve this, or to contribute significantly there too. And I said, it can't be done in a book, as already been written. I my approach is showing how he stalked a neighborhood, what his whole MO was about. Because I'm not going to show. Uh, an individual's house a few get in the photographs but I'm on the street I'm at the corner you know I'm showing people the overheads and uh, that's what really hit home because then I could link to my videos I walked the neighborhoods people saw me they got used to me I got stopped by a cop once and everything Interesting. so people can go to uh, Google and then uh, and see all the videos and you really get a feel for what this guy did and how much time he had to spend doing it. He was just a phenomenon to the sheriffs. Sheriffs, you know, in Rancho Cordova had uh, sheriffs up in a tree with binoculars watching, seeing if they couldn't find someone suspicious stalking a neighborhood. So when, no one could figure out how transparent this guy could be.
0: When he was stalking, like, how much time do you think he would put into his whole uh, hunting?
1: I, I can't imagine when... Uh, when it was finally revealed when D'Angelo, a full-time cop in Auburn, of all places, was tagged with all this in April 2018, one of the, the retired lead detectives in Orange County, Larry Poole, said at best, he said, I can't imagine when this guy slept. Wow. Because the amount of time that he had driving from Auburn, which is the first town in the foothills of Highway 80, then into the east area, then into Rancho Cordova, or then going further down to Modesto, Stockton, Davis, going way over into the East Bay in Contra Costa County. And doing this you know weeks in advance, he stalked the area before he struck. He had alternate victims lined up. He was making all these hang-up phone calls to see what their schedules were.
0: Wow.
1: All this stuff. I don't know, you know how he did it. I, I suspect in the beginning... Which some people don't like to hear, but I suspect there is someone else who was involved, and it was not all D'Angelo, I don't mean he had a sus uh, he had an accomplice, but from the early reports in nineteen seventy six as they uh, continued through nineteen seventy seven, even uh, Richard Shelby said he could make a case for two guys involved.
0: Interesting. Because
1: there there were uh, victims who were very concise, more than one if their daughter was present, and the mother was there, who said this guy had very sparse and light hair on arms and legs that went with someone who would have a blonde hair. They didn't see his head, of course, because he had a ski mask on. And then others, uh, you know, like a victim seven were both boy, and the mother remembered the very dark and hairy arms and legs, and the boy was very insistent that he had dark blue eyes. And victim number one herself said he had very hairy arms and legs and it was dark hair. So this kind of contradiction goes on. In one case, uh, you know, one victim said she believed he shaved his legs. You could tell from the abrasion like it was stubble. And uh, and there is, there's reasons, you know, to accept all of these uh, these accounts. And, of course, one man cannot be responsible for both.
0: Fascinating. And so, what was the process by which uh, he was abducted, D'Angelo? Or, I mean, he was caught.
1: Uh, That started, uh, finally, it was in August. As I understand it, people started telling me behind the scenes, in August, uh, the uh, cold case, the criminalist, actually, in Contra Costa County, Paul Holes, had obtained pristine DNA, finally, from Ventura. And uh, they used this to go into the genealogical system, which had been done by, I believe, Arizona cops before. Colleen Fitzpatrick had assisted them. She's a forensic genealogist. And they gave her a DNA readout in some cases. She said that your, your killer's last name is probably Miller. And they had a guy like that on their suspect list, and they got him through that. And uh, Holes had wanted to do that with this case, but they really didn't have that much DNA anymore it's all been used to you know try and link this guy to all these crimes so we got the pristine dna and put it in the genealogical system and uh a genealogist was also an attorney honed it down to two guys finally by i think descent by october or december i'm guessing at that only from a public statement made in people magazine and I did was able to discover that amazingly. Of the two guys, one of course was D'Angelo, and the other was one of my guys.
0: Interesting. So you had tagged somebody as well. Wow, fascinating.
1: So that I had come to without DNA. So I was rather proud of that because I, I like the old gumshoe approach. And uh, and so the one that I had tagged through other methods was the one they pursued first. Now I deduced that because. Uh, they uh, had made auto wrecking and all that very popular and car dealership. And this other guy had these contacts and real estate contacts. And so, uh, you know, you're you're looking at uh, these detectives seeing two guys on a list and one who's a full-time cop up in the foothills of California and the other one who has all these auto and real estate connections. Uh, what are you going to deduce? You're going to go after the guy with the auto and real estate connections because that makes the most sense. And I guess they were pretty much gobsmacked when he was cleared by DNA. And they realized at that point, probably in January, that it was this full-time cop up in Auburn. And, of course, that was all, you know, that was information withheld within uh, a very narrow group because I was speaking with the Sacramento guys quite in detail in March doing these articles on the Cordova cat, which they had found this whole crime spree 1972-1973 in Rancho Cordova where the East Area Rapist would later begin in 1976. And this cat burglar followed the exact same M.O. He wasn't raping anybody. He would just rob them. And uh, so then we were all shocked uh, in April when, uh, you know, when D'Angelo was arrested. I was told that it's, it's on the Ventura website. They just filed warrant against this guy for the murders of the smiths there and sure enough I went and looked and they had a uh, cop guy I told everybody not to get too excited about this at first because it was just amazing that they're a full time cop in Auburn but they were able to pin him through a lot of uh, a lot of connections to DNA I think a lot of the jurisdictions were pretty surprised by this because it took a while for Santa Barbara and Orange County to file their charges against him the Los Angeles Times swore they were going to sue right away to find out how this was done because it all just seemed so impossible. And I think they were talking to these other jurisdictions who knew nothing about this. So I don't know about that part. I don't know about what the rivalry was between the guys with the badges, but I think something really happened that took some by surprise. There, there became some kind of uh, competition to get him. And that fortunately did not involve me.
0: And did when they was arrested has he admitted to anything at all, or has he just kept his no, body? He,
1: no, no, he's not going to talk at all. I think he's going to go out in full, in full blaze of evil glory, and and not divulge because <clears throat> my website did accentuate just how supernatural it almost seemed. You know, by calling him the real life Michael Myers, it, it really stuck with people that this is how this guy operated. And I was told by neighbors where he lived afterward that he went into a life of seclusion around the time my website went up. Absolutely. So I think he realized with all that kind of, you know, I had a million and a half readers looking at this.
0: Wow, that's a lot.
1: That's, that's how this became so popular, and I had all the details on it, and... Uh, and so that's when everything started rolling, and I didn't get him, but at least I scared the guy into living a very reclusive lifestyle. And, uh, and I, you know, he's the number one serial predator in history. I don't think you can anybody can deny that, that there's something unusual here. And uh, I don't think he's ever going to admit to anything. He's going to just let them deduce what they will. He's not going to explain how he... Did his talking, how he could do his hang up phone calls, how he got all these cars, how he could be in all these locations back and forth with his full time job. Uh, I I think he's just going to let them hang it on him and uh, he's withering away, but I don't think he's ever going to talk or help because he knows there's, you know, he's what, 73 year old man? He Mm -hmm. knows he's not going to get any kind of leniency. He's going to die in prison. He knows that.
0: Have they tried him yet? I mean, they haven't brought him to trial? Oh, yet. No.
1: no, no, they have all the, they have a whole retinue of special district attorneys, investigators, and everything this This will be years before he comes to trial. They have so much to the, go over to try and explain how he was at all these locations, how he did all this. Right. and of course, there's a complete lid on this now you cannot find out how he was getting all these cars. Wow, uh, how he was doing all that because it's all in the hands of special district attorneys, investigators preparing it for uh, you know, 13 murder trials it's going to be held in Sacramento so it's going to be the district attorney up here, in Marie Schubert it's going to be the district attorney from Tulare County from Visalia area it's going to be three district attorneys or four district attorneys from the south and a district attorney from, or more from Contra Costa County area so it's going to be an enormous uh, this will be the trial of the century if he survives it
0: if he gets there to that point so they're walking everything back trying to figure out so he was when he was committing these crimes he was in his late 20s early 30s correct uh more
1: 1945 i believe 45 46 so yeah so, so early, th- uh, early 30s
0: 203031
1: he began and uh, a real photographic chameleon i've seen more than one picture of him where he doesn't even look like the same guy if he is the same one in the very beginning. See, I don't know, is he the Visalia ransacker? I investigated that a lot. Or was he doing his own uh, his own type of uh, uh, ransack, well, murders, not murders, excuse me, uh, thieving down in Visalia when he was a cop in nearby Exeter? I have a whole page on it, what the trial is going to have to explain. Gotcha. It's the last page I put up. It kind of was my... Farewell to all the problems with it because uh, they're problems that were raised by the avalanche of emotions. Uh, Sacramento, these other counties, wanted in uh, to get this guy, and uh, so they kind of looked at this 40-year-old law about kidnapping, that if you take someone a significant distance or outside uh, someplace to conceal them, Uh, You can get him for kidnapping. So they filed kidnapping charges against him because he took the victims from their bedroom to the living room or on the back porch. And I don't know if that's going to stick with the judge that's genuine kidnapping, but by this means they could all file charges against him. And so, of course, this brings into play all the rapes that normally would have been excluded because of statute of limitations. But at the same time, this introduces into the bargain all the evidence at points that there was more than one guy involved.
0: Let's see, That's just an incredible story.
1: Without, without DNA, I don't know how they're going to take D'Angelo for these crimes, because no DNA was saved in Sacramento.
0: They just threw it away after a period of time? Yeah. Or something. yeah. yeah. That's a there's shame.
1: only DNA from a few of the crimes in Contra Costa County. That, that's what was used to link him to... Original Night Stalker in Southern California. Nothing from Sacramento was linked by DNA. It's wow. just by M.O. assumed that he's all that, uh, you know, he, he did it all. But in the beginning, as I said, there is room to consider that maybe that uh, D'Angelo was inspired by someone else who actually began this crime scene crime spree. As a cop, he would have had access to all that was being discussed, and he would have heard
0: uh, right. what
1: East Area Rapist M.O. was when he was in the house, how he spoke. Because the first rape, originally attributed to the E.A.R., was in October, October 21, 1975, and D'Angelo was most certainly down south as a cop, four hours away, and uh, and then the first attack again is the official one is on Paseo Drive, in which Phyllis was hit, and she said he was, you know, had very dark hair and arms and legs. And uh, number seven said the same thing. Whereas number three, which was only two doors down from Phyllis, said very sparse and light hair. So we're ready. There's inconsistencies. Already in the first three, there's okay. a couple of guys that seem to fit the, uh, and they say the same thing. See, they say pr- approximately the same thing in the house. So who could who could learn someone else's M.O. except a cop?
0: Right. And so there's a potential and during his stays as a cop. He's getting all the information about all the research. He could have even been on these stakeouts looking for himself, correct?
1: Oh, and Visalia, that is, that is considered, the, yes, that he was possibly looking for the Visalia Ransacker when he may have been one of them. Right.
0: Incredible. So But the up, here,
1: of- he, up here, he, you know, he grew up in Rancho Cordova. He later lived in Citrus Heights. And then, of course, his family, his in-laws were still living there as he lived with his wife in, uh, up in Auburn. So he had plenty of contacts still. And he would have been perfectly normal in you know, him riding around with his off-duty weapon. Yes. Who would uh, suspect him? He's visiting family. He's you know the cops know him from Roseville and everything.
0: And so he he stayed up in that Sacramento area. And he did he have a wife and a uh, long-term wife and children?
1: Oh yes, he has three daughters and a wife.
0: Wow. So no, nothing ever came from them, or probably will never come from them.
1: No, uh, no, yeah. I don't think she's going to talk. But that's. Uh, but, you know, it's, the neighborhood was shocked, as always, when the police raided it and, and took him away, and that this is the most notorious serial villain in history.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible case. I oh, mean,
1: but I, I think they'll come out at the trial how he followed the case
0: from the inside. And you said there's no trial not date not as me, of yet. I,
1: even when when it was all regenerated again, when I started doing all of this, I kept a very close watch on my analytics. And I always noted uh, Citrus Heights ISP coming in where he lived.
0: Wow. So he could potentially have been on your website trying to figure out how close people were getting to... Yeah, well, I made a
1: stink once intentionally in uh, letting one of the message board moderators know beforehand, one of them that got along with, and I'm going to create this enormous stink on my updates page about how it's coming close and all that, and... uh, and please don't you know, let anybody cut and paste this and put it on the message board. Just direct everybody to my page. And So we talked to the other moderators, and uh, they said okay. And so I put it up, and everybody was directed to my updates page, and I was just screen camping hundreds of ISPs coming through. Fascinating. And sure enough, that Citrus Heights ISP kept coming through again.
0: Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs>
1: so I think he was very much aware that, uh, you know, it was current There was too many people interested in in the East Area Rapist.
0: Wow. I guess we'll never find out why he quit. Maybe just yeah. It's remarkable. Uh,
1: well, I, you know the, the shrinks say he outgrew it. Okay. He got too old for all the the gymnastics that were required because apparently he was very unusually uh, East Area Rapist was anyway known to be unusually gymnastic. He could uh, pull vault over a fence with one arm, one hand. Yeah.
0: Super athletic. Um, Gian, we have reached the 40-minute mark. Is there anything that you would like to add, anything I missed, anything you'd like to promote other than your website, which is the quester file spelled the, dot com. Tons of information on the East Area Rapist original Night Stalker. So you can go look at the case by case. It's pretty chilling to, uh, to read all those cases that he was involved with.
1: I just think everybody who was involved should be very proud. It uh, it proves that even if you don't get him, you've made him you know, look over his shoulder. None of these guys have to be allowed to believe that uh, they're going to uh, go scot-free. They're going to live a very uh, anxious life, always looking over their shoulder because someone's always going to be hunting them.
0: All right. Well, that's a good way to end it. Gian Quasar, thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me. All right. Have a good night. You too. Okay. Bye-bye.